Hello, everybody. This is Andy Grant. I want to welcome you again to another episode of Real Men Feel. Well, if you haven't joined us before, it might be your first episode of Real Men Feel. So whether you're brand new, whether you've been here for a long time listener, thanks for coming. We're glad to have you. Uh, Real Men Feel is produced live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can always join us live at realmenfeel.org slash show. You can also subscribe, listen, and review to the podcast at realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. Um, we go for about 30 to 40 minutes. Your comments, your feedback, participation, all welcome during the live show, as well as anytime in our Facebook group or at realmenfeel.org. Everything mentioned in this show, links and people and resources will be included in the show notes, which will you, fi- you can find on the blog at realmenfeel.org. And this show is a little unique. Um, we've got a lot of invited guests, um, but first let's start off with the, uh, who's the man who's always the guest without necessarily being invited, whatever that means, but, uh, my co-host and friend, Alpio Hunter. Hey, yeah. <laughs> hey, at times it feels like I'm a guest other times. Hey, you know, just good to be here. Period. Cool. 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 <laughs> um, so this week would, in case people aren't aware of it. There's a presidential election happening in the United States right now. And yeah. this is really, um, it's our last live show before election day. And even though lots of states can do early voting now, which I think is really new. I don't recall early voting where I live in Massachusetts before this year. So I think this is a very new concept. But a lot of people are already voting. I'm waiting because it's a missed kind of the thrill and pomp and kids selling cookies that election day <laughs> America brings. But um, so since it's our last show before the election, I really wanted to give a space, since, since Real Men Feel is all about making a space to allow and encourage men to feel, I wanted to make a space where people are allowed to share what they're feeling about the election. So not necessarily um, pros and cons and issues and policy, but just what this rather bizarre election year has brought up in each of us. So I've invited both men and women to partake in this discussion and, uh, and we're going to see what happens. So first, I would like to uh, introduce Shauna Pelton. Hey. Hey, Shauna. You want to tell, us, tell the folks a little bit about you? Oh, sure. I'm happy to. Um, well, first of all, thank you, Andy, for inviting me on. I'm um, really happy to be here and share in this incredible uh, conversation with all of you. Um, so my name is Shauna Pelton. I am a metaphysical healer and transformational coach. I'm passionate about human growth and potential. And um, I'm all about positive personal change, especially as it relates to emotional mastery and mindset and spiritual healing as well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to chime in about the, you know, how I see what's going on emotionally with, with this campaign. Super, super. Well, I'll get a chance to that. Uh, let's move on to our next guest. Um, Anthony Simeone has been a prior guest on the show and is a regular blogger at realmenfeel.org. So welcome, Anthony. Hi, Andy. Thanks uh, once again for having me on. And yeah, I'm a blogger, writer, speaker, a hero advocate, I like to call myself. I started a personal development program that I call Live the Hero. And it's all about how we can use Joseph Campbell's theory of the hero's journey to make an adventure of our everyday lives and find our own purpose rather than waiting for the universe or some other force, whatever you believe in in the universe, to bring our purpose to us. Make your own purpose, make your own fate, make your own path in life, and see every day as truly an adventure in your life. 
So that's my mission going forward. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that mission and thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, next up, uh, Lori Grant. I think I am familiar with her. Um, for anyone that doesn't realize it, Lori Grant is my wife. And, and, and I'll, I'll let you tell what today is, Lori. Oh, I wasn't even going to share that. Okay. Oh, you got it. <laughs> so I'm Lori Grant, and I am a um, life coach and a certified energy medicine practitioner. So I specialize in boundaries and um, holding our own space and making sure we don't invade anybody else's space and that ours doesn't get invaded. So this election, this election series has called it a series. I don't even know why. A season, I guess. It seems like it's been a very long season. Um, has really in, brought a lot up for everybody. So I'm quite excited to share tonight. And um, today is um, Andy and my anniversary as well. So ah, happy anniversary! But that's not the only reason she's invited. Right? Make that clear. She would have been here regardless. <laughs> that's true. She's always she's always here. <laughs> Always. I'm, you're just stuck with me. <laughs> so that's what I'm all about. I mean, I'm about a lot more than that, but that's for this evening, that's what I'm about. <laughs> cool. Cool. Thanks for joining us. And uh, last but not least, I'd like to introduce Ken Russell. Well, thanks, Andy. And, um, and thanks, Shauna, for uh, proposing my name for this really very fascinating <laughs> approach to uh, what... Uh, I think we all agree was a, a has been a fascinating season. Uh, I'm a I'm a life coach and I'm a business coach and consultant. I work with uh, people in transition, uh, going from one place to someplace else, which is everyone all the time. Um, but it requires a certain amount of understanding that that's what's going on for coaching to be at all effective. And those are my favorite clients. So I really appreciate the opportunity to to share some feelings uh, this evening and I'm um, really looking forward to how this will all unfold. Cool. Well, thank you, Ken. And thanks for everybody uh, again for making the time to, to have uh, this place and, and raise these issues and share everyone's feeling. Um, since this is a historic election with a major party's first nomination of uh, a female candidate, um, I, I'll, I'll start off with, uh, with, with Shauna for no particular reason, except that you are also a female non-candidate. <laughs> yeah. So what's been showing up for you, Shauna? Well, um, so actually, uh, at the beginning of the year, I was finding myself to be quite triggered um, during just, you know, regular debates and listening to um, how people were unconsciously um, treating the female candidate, uh, as well as um, what their reflections were on her. On her. Um, and so, you know, it brought in my own personal, like, kind of, I, I recognized almost like this self-defense um, mechanism, like this internal reaction process. And then I also found myself to be quite triggered by the opposite male you know, uh, candidate, um, that I actually had to sit with, and I think it's important, this is actually what I really want to, um, the importance of this subject of recognizing when you feel a certain way, no one makes you feel, right? So I had to really sit with, well, why? Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Why am I losing my, like, my cool, my energy, my life force, giving it over to, an opinion that I have about someone, 
right? And um, what I realized was is that it brought up, and not just for me, but in talking to other people, it, 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 I'm, other women, I should say, uh, it brought up these old memories of how we as women experience being treated by men the majority of men in our society. Um, and so, you know, I found that when I really sat with why I was viscerally reacting to, to this man ca candidate, that was it. And because of the behaviors that we all know about, um, that I don't need to get into or even justify as right or wrong, but just again, putting it back on myself. And I think this is, what the opportunity is because as a of course as a healer and coach in this area um our emotions are our guidance scale right and it tells us what needs to be looked at what part of us needs to be healed and so i i took it as that opportunity so i'm no longer reactive um, as I once once before because I did my healing work around it and I was grateful and I'm able to look at it in a different way and see it for from a, um, a bigger uh, viewfinder right from a different broader perspective um, and what it means collectively for us to have this opportunity potentially for a female to be our leader um, but I do think that this is the biggest issue that we all have the opportunity uh, this issue of you know old stuff that is coming to the surface and the opportunity to really look at it intimately to to heal um, so I don't know if anyone else has that same reflection or had that awareness, um, but for me it was about that female collective consciousness, the old wounds that we all had. Uh, well, I shouldn't say we all, like, but a lot of women um, have and carry with them um, because of this, you know, imbalance in the masculine and feminine energy. Um, so seeing it as a real chance for us to up-level our collective consciousness here. Beautiful. Thank you. Definitely. Did that resonate with you, Lori, or anybody else? Well, it's, it's interesting. I just want to, I, I find it intriguing because one of my big triggers was, was actually, um, I would get so frustrated with Hillary mm -hmm. as opposed to with, with, with Donald. And I had to really dig into what, um, what my issues were around a strong woman and why did i get so frustrated that she was so strong and powerful and holding her space because she wasn't really going on the attack right so my whole thing was like if she was being attacked why wouldn't she attack back and and she didn't and she would stick you know during the debate she would stick to policy and i would be like what that's not that's that's not okay right like she's not she's not doing it quite right and um i had to really dig into like shauna i very much turned it back to hmm what the hell's going on with me that how she's doing it isn't the right way right like it like why she's got all this power she's got all this strength and yet i'm still upset with her because I'm triggered because obviously strong, powerful women 
there's something within me that is triggered by that. Like what's appropriate, what isn't. And I know I have some issues around, I'll, I'll just put it out there. I have issues around men being better, mm. right? I was raised in a family of all men. I, oh, I had my mom, but I have five brothers. So I have this big issue. So it clearly was mm-hmm. you know, just coming right back and mirroring to me mm-hmm. so boldly. And I really had to dig in and be like, Oh crap, there it is again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what came up for me as opposed to, I mean, I have my other issues with his behavior, but a lot of it was, oh my gosh, that's my stuff about the man compared to the woman. Again, what we're raised with, this, my generation still struggles with men are supposed to do and be and et cetera. And we're supposed to, you know, I was role modeled that you're secondary. Mm-hmm. So seeing her not be secondary, I love it, but then I'm triggered by it. So <laughs> it was, it, it's yeah. been fascinating for me. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, Lori, because I was raised, I have three sisters who are very strong-willed. So I had the opposite, I, I think, almost, because I, I, you know, I had a brother who I really didn't get along with. I mean, he was, again, this is why I'm really into real men feel, because I'm a sensitive male, always kind of identified with, you know, stereotypically, they stay with the feminine side. You know, I was always very emotional. My brother, not so much. My dad, definitely not so much. Or at least they suppress that in themselves. I, I think all men have that potential. You know, all human beings have a balance of the male and female, I believe. And I think that my sisters, though, were very... My mother was very kind of weak-willed, or she really gave a lot of her power away, I should say. Not, not that she was weak, but she gave a lot of her power away to my father in a very horrible relationship that they had. But my sisters, I think, overcompensated with strength. I mean, we had a, definitely a very stereotypical Italian argumentative family growing up. And I, I had very strong females as far as my sisters. I have two older sisters and a younger sister. They didn't take crap from anybody. I mean, so that's interesting. So Hillary is not a shock to me. And I had aunts that were very strong-willed that I knew. I mean, I had an aunt that nobody knew until she died. She used to tell me dirty jokes when I was a, t- a kid. So she, she didn't care about it, any rules, anything. So, you know, I, Hillary being strong, it's, it's interesting because it never bothered me. And I kind of just expect women to have that capability. So it's, it's interesting to hear that perspective from someone who had more males than versus females in the family that they grew up with. So thanks for sharing that. And, you know, for me, I think a lot of the, the big emotions that have surfaced have, have, have had to do with the language of exclusion, the language of finding somebody else to blame, the language of, of, of scapegoating, if you will. That, to me, has been my biggest thing, perhaps triggered the strongest emotional reactions for me, particularly having been grouped by society into a segment of society that has lots of letters associated. And it seems like the letters, we're, we're choosing more letters of the alphabet. It started off with just LGBT, and then it's Q, then it's I, then it's A. And I think we'll probably appropriate every other letter in the alphabet except for S. Uh, so in the process of doing that, um, I have, was reminded and listening to a lot of the, the conversations and, and seeing, seeing videos of, of many of these rallies and, 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 and just listening to all the stuff, I was reminded of two things. First of all, my experience, every time I would visit my brother who lives just outside of Washington, D.C., I would always go into D.C. and visit the Holocaust Museum. That's one of my favorite places to go. 
And I always thought that, you know, every member of Congress, every person who decides that they want to serve in a public capacity should be required to go to that museum and to be reminded of what can happen when you start singling out people mm. and, and, and segments of the population and say, you are responsible. Mm. And you are somehow you know, responsible for my life being miserable or my perception of life being miserable, even though if you really take a close look at it, it isn't. And, and so I was reminded of that experience and I kept on drawing parallels between 1930s Germany and what's going on now. And, and again, these are just my thoughts, my feelings and my, and what was bubbling up for me. And I'm, I started thinking, you know, going to, to what Shauna said about me taking responsibility for me, me taking responsibility for my own emotions and so forth, I had to realize that one of the things that this election has done, it has is, is amplified a very natural human tendency to want to look at what other people are doing and want obsessing about what other people are doing and then somehow, you know, working ourselves up into a frenzy when, when, in reality, if we really take a very close look at our lives and just ask ourselves, is what this other, other people are doing really affecting us? And 99.99% of the cases, no, they're not. And so it has been, a, for, to me, a great reminder that I'm responsible for myself. Now, the first principle of joy, you're not responsible for anybody else's happiness but your own. And by extension, nobody else is responsible for my life except for me. And so, by li and so it has been a great reminder for me to just live the best life I can, to be the best person I can, to concern myself with, with just being freaking awesome. Because you know what? What everybody does in Washington, what everybody does in the State House, what everybody does in, in, in City Hall or whatever, ultimately is not going to have a huge impact on me, except, you know, if I need to know city services or something like that, perhaps. But... I still live my life. I still go about it on a daily basis. So uh, it's, it's been good practice to switch off the TV, stop paying attention to everybody's you know, opinions about this or that or whatever, and just remind myself, you know what? Let me focus on me. Let me worry about me. Let me be the best human being I possibly can because that cumulative effect mm -hmm. is going to have a much greater impact on the world than who we vote for or mm -hmm. what, what emotions they trigger in us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's one take I heard on this whole campaign early on um, that has really allowed me to just sit back and witness. And truly, I just see the whole thing as entertaining. I haven't been triggered by any sides. But it was the notion that Trump is the old level of consciousness. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's that old, and it's rooted in survival, fear, us against them, blaming someone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember living there. I remember there were plenty of things he said that, wow, I used to be for that. I used to be, I think that was a great idea. So I can see that and, and feel it and accept it. Um, and also that Bernie is the consciousness of where we're going. So he's a little bit ahead of the time, but that, that compassion, cooperation, society coming together is all where humanity's headed. And that Hillary is the bridge, her current <laughs> energy, that, that femininity with a very masculine edge to, to stand in her power, to get things done, right, to operate in the current political status, she has to be, she has to be quite a lot of he to, to be able to get things done. So she's this bridging energy. Um, but, you know, it's not about stupidity. It's not about ignorance, but it, it's, it, it's, it's fear and, and hope, kind of. And, yeah. 
and, to, to allow people to be there without judging them. That that's the challenge I find. Yeah, and that quote, you know, the arc of history is long, but it tends towards justice, right? I mean, that's. I feel like that's. I feel like some of that energy, that old energy of the past that Trump represents, is the reason why the arc is so long because fear, human, the human tendency, the the naked ape, I call us. I mean, we're sort of we are animals and we are angels. I mean, we're we're a combination of the two, and. Really, Trump represents that older mindset of that scapegoating and blame and fear and that kind of mentality that human beings cling to that makes the arc, unfortunately, that much longer of history. But, you know, but that's really great. I mean, did you say that it tends towards justice? Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it, that it stumbles and, rather awkwardly <laughs> towards justice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a great way to put it, good. Yeah. Um, no, it's, yeah. I'm finding, I'm, I'm feeling really intrigued by this discussion. Um, and a lot of the things that folks have said have, have had funny little uh, resonances. My, my mother was born and raised in Tunisia, mm. um, interestingly enough. And when the Americans had routed Rommel and kicked him out, uh, the ovens had already been started to be built. They dug the ground and started building ovens. My mother's people were Jewish. And um, had Rommel cared more about uh, Trumpian concerns than just winning the damn war, um, I, for one, might not be here. So your, your comment, um, Apio, about, about the Holocaust Museum is, is particularly moving. I, I, I grew up in Washington, um, but missed the Holocaust Museum and, and I just haven't been able to bring myself to go. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. Everyone who proposes to um, serve in national government should be obliged to visit and the Museum of the American Indian, or I forget mm. what it's called. Yes. Um, so it, it's, it's quite interesting because my wife is strong and my mother was strong and I raised two strong daughters. Uh, and for me, uh, the thing that frankly infuriates me about the dialogue that's been going on particularly in the last segment of this election, is the extraordinary disrespect and the lack of, the, 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 the stinkiness of it, the, the, uh, the injustice of it. Um, I'm not sure I agree with you, Andy, about uh, Hillary's masculineness. I think that that, to me, is too, too easy and slippery a dichotomy to say, well, in order to be strong, a, a, a flavor of strength, and fight with me here, um, this is just my feeling about it as, as you were talking. Um, the notion that for a woman to be able to make it in politics requires her to trade her femininity in some sort of a um, archetypal way for masculinity in some sort of an archetypal way doesn't, doesn't seem quite right to me. Um, at the beginning when we were sort of setting up and straightening out our hair, uh, the the notion of goddess <laughs> came up. And I think that, for me, part of what I find astonishing about Bernie is not only his, his um, pointing towards hope, where Trump, I think you're absolutely right, Andy, points towards fear, mm-hmm. but how feminine, in a certain way, Bernie is, mm-hmm. in that depth of compassion, in that understanding of goddess energy, really, when you really think about it. Um, I think that's what got, and I think that's what got a lot of young people charged up. 
because young people in particular aren't fixed or tend not to be as fixed in their in their views. Um, this is why, you know, when I talk to my daughter, uh, she's at Smith, and uh, one of her good friends um, is transitioning, and now he's, you know, on his way to a new life. And it's like a non-issue. Uh, and, and so this is when we say kids are the hope for the future. This is precisely why. But what, what I find particularly interesting, and which I haven't been able to sort out either emotionally or mentally, is who exactly are the 41% or the 38% who are wildly enthusiastic about Mr. Trump and are going to vote for him no matter what? What in the hell is going on there? It's an absolute mystery to me. The, you know, the tax thing and the Putin thing and the pussy grabbing thing, pardon my French, and all of the other ugly crap that our, our good friend Mr. Trump permits himself has zero effect on his constituency. Yeah, and if I may, I, 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 if I may jump in on that, yeah, I, I really don't, again, I think Andy's got it right there. It's fear. And from my perspective, what really got under my skin was just how much, and again, I'm not picking on them in particular, the Democrats have their own little foibles, but <laughs> for the Republicans, they're supposed to be the party of, and this is what really got me angry, they're supposed to be the party of personal responsibility, and just like Appio was saying, you know, really live your life. I mean, yeah, sure, you know, they just raised the taxes, they just raised the, the gas tax here in Jersey 23 cents, so that's kind of like the man sticking it to me, I got to pay 23 extra cents a gallon, but in the scope of my entire life, I mean, come on, is it crushing me? No, and I'm very fortunate to live in this country. I'm very fortunate to be here. We have it a lot better, and that's the thing. I don't understand. We have, we can see African children instantaneously starving, and people, we can see the, we can see the horror in Aleppo immediately, like on our screens, and yet we still don't have that perspective that, oh my God, I'm so fortunate. I should be so grateful for being here. So Ken, I mean, yes, I don't understand that in this world where, you know, everyone's suffering outside of this country we're so fortunate we don't appreciate that and then you know to have this fear that i think is feeding us and it's just we're fed and we're triggered constantly by the 24-hour negative news cycle and we're like i said earlier we're animals and you know our ancestors were were looking outside that cave waiting for a saber-toothed tiger but now the saber-toothed tiger is everywhere and it's beaming at us from all of these devices we have so we're constantly being triggered our fight or flight is always on so we're always constantly and so our fear mechanism is always being ignited so that's the thing it's like we're being fed this fear so then and then to get elected just like companies want us to buy their products and they tell us they have to tell us how essential they are to our lives their products we can't live without their products politicians are telling us i'm the solution you need to vote for me because i'm going to solve all your problems they're selling themselves so that's the thing but they don't understand in the effort and selling themselves just to get in the office they're leaving this stain and this indelible mark on our collective psyche of the country well, and it doesn't matter how they get in it's just that they get in and if I can add to that, Anthony, I think that it's there. You know, I once heard that fear is a weapon of dark forces used to keep us back, to bind us to the old ways. And I think that, you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, yes, there is this knight in shining armor appearance where it's like, I'm going to come save you. And it's kind of appeasing that most 
difficult like part within people the, what they're most afraid of is their shadow right it's it's that um well we're most afraid of our life but it's like the, that that uh, mo- biggest discomfort the most painful part of us is that shadow of fear and you know into the point of it 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 taps into our animalistic side. Um, you know, there is the physical effect of fear where it shuts down rational thinking completely. And it, and it heightens the hindbrain, which is the reactive brain. And everything back there is about survival. Um, it's about keeping us safe, keeping us, you know, the ego has this, this hidden agenda of wanting to be right, of wanting to look good, of wanting to be impressive, not impressed, but impressive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, it will go to no lengths to get what it thinks it needs for survival, which is about the physical experience, that animalistic experience. And what I do believe that we are really um, being, um, what we're looking at is how we are stepping even closer into um, another way of experiencing life, which is from our soul's perspective, the higher realm of our dimension of being, right? And we're asking, to participate in this evolutionary process uh, where together we can all say yes to what we desire, to, to that it, you know, desire of Eden, right? Mm-hmm. We've been promised this concept of heaven on earth. What it takes is for people to wake up within each and every one of us and to recognize that which we are afraid of um, you, you know, is our own power. <laughs> you know, Shani, you touched on something really important there uh, that I'd like to expand on a little bit further, and that is one of the great human needs that we have is the need to be heard. And one of the reasons why Mr. Trump is so appealing to so many people, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter how horrible you know people label these, all the stuff, people feel like when he hears them, the quote-unquote political class has not heard them, has basically said whatever it took in order to get elected and then gone around, gone about and done their own things. And so people have reached the point now where it's like at least he hears them. He says everything that they wants to hear because he's making all these promises. Whatever promise needs to be made, it's going to be said because they feel heard. And every time that you have had a country that has transitioned from a democracy to a dictatorship. It has been precisely that. The people have reached a point where they no longer feel heard by the representatives. And so they go along with that. And we they go and so Hitler did not actually win the elections. He actually was appointed because of the fear of 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 his followers. He was appointed as a prime minister and he took that as his opportunity to to seize power. Hugo Chavez in Venezuela was elected on a on a wave of what people were feeling that they were not being heard. They were, it was elected on a wave of resentment. And now Venezuela is practically collapsing around itself because of what happened. So every time that people listen to their fears and they feel like they aren't being heard, and this is a great wake-up call. Honestly, in spite of all of the stuff that we just want to like go and bury our heads in the sand, it's like honestly, I really wanted to you know become a pe- and not not a pe- like an ostrich, and and go and bury my head in the sand for a while so I didn't have to deal with all of this. And yet, yeah. I've seen it as 
an incredible opportunity for us to wake up and say, we're not being heard. And people, and there are politicians that are out there. There are members of the political class who are recognizing that and saying, we need to listen. So this has been good and blowing it up in so many ways, in spite of all of the stuff, all the shit that's come out, you know, all that's bubbled up to the surface. Well, listen, election day is still next week, so we don't know what, how it's really going to turn out yet. Right. right. That's how we worry about this magical 41%. Like, the, the, there's only one poll that matters. And, well, it's actually underway with early voting. Right. But, you know, yeah. I can, there are things about Trump that I can admire and go wow he's really good at that like i you can't his self-confidence is amazing and to come at it from a a spiritual uh, realm or a vibrational idea he has a high level of wealth consciousness so even when he's not a billionaire he acts like a billionaire like his belief about himself and his wealth he just however many bankruptcies he gets through he's like makes it back so there's something attractive in that and powerful in that and i think that's a lot of i've seen interviews with trump voters that say no, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think that Paul, I, I don't, they don't believe a lot of things he says will actually happen, but they still somehow have more blind faith or trust in this outsider that, well, everything's a mess. I'm going to vote for this guy that'll mess it up even more. And, and I do, I do, I have to say, like, I, I have a friend who's a huge Trump person and, and she's very, it's not just that she's a huge Trump person. It's she's, she just hates Hillary to pieces and is constantly putting negative things out. So I had posted something uh, positive about Hillary and um, she wrote this big, long litany of she should be in jail, you know, the whole, the typical rant. And I wrote underneath it. I'm like, and I did it on Facebook. I said, this is my Facebook page. And I promise to honor your opinion on your page and not post anything about how I feel about your candidate. I said, but what I would like is for you to honor what I am for. Mm-hmm. And I have been very, very focused during this time mm-hmm. to pay attention to not what I am against, but what I am for. Because what I am against is brings up my fear. Yeah. And if I can focus on what I'm for and only that, then I can let go of the, um, the anger. But... I, I really wanted to tap in when you were talking about um, the when, when Shauna, when you were just talking about that in Apio, the, the the biggest thing I think that, that Trump gives to his followers is they get to stay in victimhood. Mm. And that's what blame does. Blame takes away personal responsibility completely and makes it somebody else's fault that their life isn't the way they want it. It's the Mexican's fault. It's the Muslim's fault. It's this one's fault. And as soon as we do that, we disempower ourselves, right? It's a complete disempowerment, yet it doesn't feel that way for them because it's, you know, they don't, they don't take on that responsibility. So when we go into the blame game and we all do it as humans, right? Like we always have, have to catch ourselves. Right. Mm. And like all of us here work in the self growth field in healing ourselves. So we all know, like we have all that, but people who don't do it. And we know that that's 90 plus percent of the world doesn't do this kind of work because it's so difficult because it's so difficult to, 
go, oh, it's really not them. It's my crap coming up and I have to look at it, right? <laughs> so, like, who the hell, like, I mean, let's face it. It's a lot of work to look at our stuff. So, Laura, yeah. can I ask yeah. you some, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, I was really interested to hear, just this, this, a moment ago, your friend enumerating all the ways in which Hillary should be put in jail and she's this, that, and the other. I was, have always been as really astonished and shocked at how much hatred and invective she produces. And frankly, I don't, I mean, she's a, a standard establishment politician. If she were a man, all of the things that she's done and all of her transgressions would have been just part of being a politician. Yes. And yet, Benghazi, 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 oh my God, it makes me dizzy to even think about it. Right. What do you think is going on there? Well, it's, it's sexism. Right, pure yeah. and simple. I mean, that's it. I mean, in like what I was saying at the beginning, like, oh, Hillary was triggering me. Like I had my own issues with it, right? Yeah. So instead of being like, she's evil because she's not doing it the most feminine way, right? Like she's not soft. And I don't, and I don't agree with that. The more I watch her, the more I see that she is very soft. Yeah. And I think that is why she gets, you know, so much accomplished when she's actually in office. Like whatever office she's been in, she's been able to cross boundaries of the part. She's been very bipartisan. She's gotten people to work with her. She's gotten great things accomplished. But when she's running, like Andy's the one that found studies on this one, um, when she's running for a position or being put up for a position, all this animosity. But once she has the job, people support her. And the people who work with her, she gets a lot done. So I, I do think, you know, I think it's a perfect example. The whole Benghazi thing is the perfect example. During Bush's administration, there were over 66 Americans killed in embassy attacks. And not one was investigated. You know, and in uh, Hillary, how many investigations have there been? And it, it, they basically said they've done it to smear her. Right. So it's it's definitely. I mean, there's no question in my mind, and I try not to go there too much because it can create so much animosity. To say that ninety percent of her accusations are based on sexism, and people only ninety. Only ninety. I think, well, I'm being generous, but, but I, you know, it's so hard because I do think, I really do think that if she was a man, there would, nothing would be an issue. Bush, I mean, we know that he deleted 22 million emails that, that Colin Powell let grin on a, on his own server, right? Like everybody has done this, but she, she, that's the key. She is supposed to be above that behavior because she's a woman. You know, I have to insert this in here really quick because I oppose this in, in a blog, in a, uh, this question in a blog post. How has 30,000 email, deleted emails affected you personally? How has Benghazi affected you personally? Unless you happen to be a family member of the person, or somebody who died in Benghazi, how has it affected you personally? How have all these issues that keep coming up affected you personally? They haven't. It's made they up. Haven't. Exactly. And by the way, the wife of the ambassador who perished at Benghazi issued a statement categorically validating Hillary and invalidating all the BS. Right. Yeah. right. So they've, it's all, but it is, I do, I really do. I'm sure, Shauna, you feel the same way. It, we, there are double standards. I actually was working with some attorneys a while back and um, 
some female attorneys and it was fascinating because what they said was the the other female attorneys were were worse than the men mm-hmm. like in on trials like the nastiness and i finally asked the the women outright i said were they worse or did you perceive them to be worse because they were women saying the same thing as a man and they all had to stop and go oh my god they, yeah. they had to like pull back and they were like you know what you're right they're not worse we yeah, just you know. expect better from a woman yeah, and i yeah. was like yeah. that is sexism is it also is Wait, it also Sorry, Anthony. No, no, I'm sorry. There's something I want to insert here. Is it also because women are supposed to have this role of the nurturer and a woman who lets people die? You know, oh, she failed as a nurturer. Like, is this, is there something in there too? Maybe Mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts. Is there something in there you think? Is that possible that, oh, a woman's supposed to be like the mother figure? So, oh, she let her children die, which are the four soldiers and the ambassador and whoever else died in Benghazi. You know, oh, as a woman, you're supposed to be protector or nurturer. So if you let people die or if you let this happen or, you know, you're not supposed to be a, you know, you're not supposed to be a betrayer, mommy. You maybe, know, so you're not supposed to hide things from what's yeah. that I think, I, I, consciously, I was saying. Yeah, I don't think it's all conscious behavior. Like, oh, I don't sure. think the sexism is conscious. I think it is a very deep-seated, you know, listen, we've been a patriarchal society for a, a tad too long, okay? <laughs> so, yeah. um <laughs> The, and the the majority of people that are on Trump's side are white males, right? They're in there. I think it's like the, like, what is it? Like the 30 to or 40 to 60 range. Like that's his primary people, right? White, yeah. I mean, he's got some others, but his primary people are men, 40 to 60 years old. Hillary, if she's triggering people who are self-aware, and I like to think I'm not a sexist. And yet there I am, like, with all my own crap coming up. Imagine what she's doing to the people out there who are not self-aware. They're not, they're, they are just triggered and reacting in the biggest, strongest, most powerful way of she should die, right? Lock her up. I mean, they, I mean, they, these people are just like, like, she hasn't been found guilty of anything. And they're like, like every Benghazi investigation has has um has been found she's been she's been innocent, yet they are still lock her up. So it's it's so oh it's yeah it's so incredibly yeah like you eye opening eye opening. They're stuck in the victimhood, and men of that age range are sort of my thing, especially with Live the Hero. And from a hero perspective. You know, the hero is the opposite of the victim. You know, the right. hero in all the great mythologies was the person who rises above the fear and rises above the foibles of their culture and, and their time and steps above and says, you know what? Like Appiah said, I'm taking on my responsibility. I'm taking on personal responsibility. Well, you know, I'm rising above. I'm not a victim. And that's what I really worry about. And I, I really feel like, though, we're a lot of us are responsible for the unheard. I mean, we're not reaching out to them. I think. I like to take responsibility on myself for those who maybe we've ignored. And I know, listen, I've belittled the stereotype of the hillbilly in my own life. I, you know, I've, I've belittled that. And who hasn't among us who hasn't kind of come down on the uneducated or the lower educated or the lower classes at certain times. And, 
done a hillbilly joke. So any of those religious people that are very fundamentalist and zealous, zealous about their religion, have we kind of ignored and belittled them too much? Have we sort of marginalized them because they're kind of kooky? I think we all have at some point. So we're all sort of to blame. And to me, I really feel like I do need to be my brother's keeper, literally. And I need to maybe start being more tolerant myself. So that's something that really I came, I really realized about myself this whole campaign cycle to look at the Trump supporters and say, you know, what separates me from them and what have I done to help them gain that consciousness that they, that they need to, to rise above those challenges. I, you know, I've made too many hillbilly jokes. I admit it. I've made redneck jokes. I mean, it's just, you can't, and, and I've made too many, you know, I used to be, uh, I was raised Southern Baptist and I saw those kind of mentalities where it was just fear motivated religion, quote unquote. And, you know, instead of belittling them, I think I especially, I take responsibility that I need to go reach across that border and say, you know, I'm sorry for making fun of you and let's bring you back into the fold. And can, I help, can I like just tap in? Anthony, I love that reflection about how you're asking yourself how you contributed. You know, I found that um, this whole experience has caused me to stop and check myself in that moment I'm about to either, you know, in my head or with words, say something that used to be funny, you know, acceptable. And I think now it's no longer acceptable because it's kind of now shown me um, what I, I shouldn't tolerate that anymore. I, if, I, if I can't tolerate in others, I, you know, I'd be out of integrity if I were to tolerate it with myself, accept it with myself. Yeah. So I really appreciate that uh, reflection. And the other piece of good, I know that Apio and, and Anthony, you've all, we, you know, we've talked about like what good comes out of it. You know, I've actually have never seen so many people coming together for a cause. Um, and, and especially as right now, as it relates to women, um, and, and women's rights. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm really inspired by how it's, it's just like, you know, we're now as examples for younger women, we have this like opportunity to show women what we will and will not allow. And I think that it's great to see that something good came out of it already and it hasn't even you know been finalized who who cares who's going to be the president at this point all you know there are good things happening because of it right now right. Lots of change very much right very much. like i i would say you know what go out and vote absolutely go out and vote but if you want to live in a world that you love ignore the politicians ignore the news ignore anything that doesn't feel good and just focus on you you know do what brings you joy love yourself and don't just be a, an effing awesome human being <laughs> everything else is really a distraction if you really think about it yeah. Yeah. And another way to look at this that i like to look at it instead of going oh my god there's 41 percent or whatever the number is that that agrees with this you know horrible viewpoints or whatever or divisiveness um to, to again soften it and just realize wow 41 percent of america feels that out of love with themselves and with life mm -hmm. and it feels trapped in victimhood and feels like no one's listening to them and uh, you know how do we fix that because you know there's not a vote there's not a politician that can fix that i mean that that's coming together at a, at a whole different level and really a, a mass healing and but again just you know everyone doing their best to work on themselves and and see what's reflected back but but also realize the people that aren't aware of that there's like they're not ill they're not wrong they're not broken um they just where where we used to be i know where, it's not where i used to be i can say that for sure but uh you know everyone's path everyone's timing is, is all different 
Mm-hmm. You know, Andy, that's, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because when we talk about personal responsibility and all these things, you know, it can, it, it can seem almost overwhelming. And you know, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I have to look at my crap and everything else. And as I have been going on my own path of self-discovery and so forth, one of the things I realized was that personal responsibility doesn't have to be something onerous. It doesn't have to be something ugly or painful or anything like that. It can, it can be as simple as deciding right now, what am I going to do that feels good for me right now? What feels best right now? And so, and so, you know, when, when you, when looking at all this stuff, when, when doing the self-examination and everything else, I found that it doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't, I mean, yes, I've experienced a lot of pain, but you know, in the process of experiencing all the pain, you know, you make all that, all the discoveries at the same time. And, you know, it's just a human tendency um, for, for, for that to come up. It, it just, it's part of our experience. It's part of how we grow and learn and so forth. But I, and speaking strictly for me and my own observations and discoveries, it's, it's just a matter of so simple. We, we discount it. We don't look at it. Because it is, okay, you know what? What am I going to do right now that feels good for me right now? What feels better right now? And so, you know, when we're looking at the election and looking at and all these emotions and everything else, what feels better right now? Switching off the TV and walking the dog? Or sitting there and stewing in that toxic brew that's, that's spewing out of the television or off the internet or wherever else that we're getting it from, you know? All right. And for, for me, what I, what I did, like what shifted mostly for me in this, like what Anthony was saying earlier, was I decided to, to only post anything for what I am for. Like nothing about what I disagree with. So when someone would say, well, why are you voting for her? I can say, These are, this, this is what I believe. This is what I want. And I believe she's going to do this. So it wasn't what he's not going to do, you know, because I, I posted something about, you know, I want, like I posted something about it on somebody else's site. Like I said, I'm, I'm focusing on just what I'm for. And somebody wrote underneath it, I'm for Hillary going to prison. Ha ha. Right. And I was like, yeah, ha ha ha. Right. So, <laughs> and, and, and I get like, I, I wrote back and I went, yeah, that's not really funny. Because I, I don't, I don't find it funny any more than I, I think you know, like I, I'm doing my best not to be like, what is wrong with Donald Trump that he won't show anyone his taxes? Mm-hmm. Like, what's wrong with you know, like what is he afraid of? Like, you know, like I'm trying. That's not actually to, a good question. Right, <laughs> right. But I, I'm trying really hard. Like when I see, like he's the best thing, and what I'm realizing is what what you guys were talking about earlier is. He's an outsider, although he's not really. He's been very involved in the political world for a long time financially. But everybody views him as the outsider, and they're so sick of what's been going on in Washington, D.C., that it seems like it doesn't matter how bad the outsider is. It's just that he's an outsider. And so that's a little scary, and it is that not being heard and not being, nothing getting really accomplished, the, the gridlock that has been for the last eight years in D.C., um, there, there's no, nobody's happy with what's going on, so bring in someone who's really going to shake it all up. And the, or the, burn it all down. 
What? <laughs> what? Whatever it takes, so, right? And that's, and that's sort of, but I think what, what it is is so many people are so sick of what's going on that they don't care if it blows everything up in order to rebuild it. And I, I think when I look at it that way, because my friend that I was saying, she's a relatively intelligent human being. And she's all for him because he's an outsider. That is her biggest reason for voting for him. So the day he said he could stand in front of, and, and shoot somebody in New York City and his followers would still follow him, he's right. Like, it's come out that he's a sexual predator and they're completely ignoring it. He was absolutely right. And it is, I'm quite convinced, because he is the outsider. The perceived outsider. Exactly. Right. But I, I oh, for people. Well, maybe yes. your friend feels that she herself is an outsider. And maybe that's the, the resonance that she's feeling with Trump. The story that he tells and the reality that he is are two different things. Right, mm. right. Mm -hmm. and, but he's got them, like Andy said, he's got them convinced, right? Like, I mean, he has sold his story so well. They were ready to be convinced, though. Yes, they, they were. were. And I do think that was because they, they are sick of, I mean, who, who among us isn't sick of the gridlock that has been Washington, D.C. for the last, especially the last eight years, right? Especially the last eight, yeah. But, I mean, it's been progressively getting worse. I, I joked years ago, you know, when Ted Kennedy passed and Byrd and all those old, do you remember all those old guys, the, the old Democrats and the old Republicans? And I was like, this is going to be the new wave. It's going to be so much better. And I realized those men actually compromised and got things done. Mm -hmm. They might not have liked everything, but they worked together. And what's happened now is you have this side and this side, and there's no compromise. There's no, and, 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 that's, and that's what, I mean, we have it on the big level because the, I believe, right, the macro and the micro, they, they follow each other. Like, is it like that in your local community? Because my guess is it's happening in the local community and it's showing up in the, in the big government. There's mm -hmm. no working together, but there isn't anywhere. It's so um, what it, contentious everywhere. It's like my side, your side. There's no we anymore. So I think, well, that, I think that's really showing up in the very public what? election. Awesome. And, and I, you're, I think you're absolutely right, Laurie, and I, th I think what I find particularly puzzling is how much the last eight years are informing this election cycle. Mm -hmm. So not only did our friends across the aisle do every conceivable, miserable trick to stymie Obama's agenda, nevertheless, they were less freaked out about electing a black man than people are now freaked out about uh, electing a woman. Oh well, yeah. There's, so there's this there's this extraordinary kind of collision of of racial discomfort with gender discomfort. I mean, I, I, it's it's just baffling because I mean, we, you know, Indira Gandhi, Golda Meir, Benazir Bhutto, Margaret Thatcher, Corazon Aquino. They've all been heads of government who have been. They've done some good stuff. They've done some terrible stuff. What's the big deal? Right. And I think it's really ironic that most of these women heads of state that you, that you cited, the majority of them were actually in Islamic countries that supposedly suppresses women all so much. Um, but 
but yeah, I mean, to your point, there have been studies that have been that have shown that this is less about you know the the the, the stories that are being told by uh, politicians and by the news media about these marginalized people, and it boils down to this election has been about racism. There's been a huge influx of racism in the past eight years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it serves us to recognize that. But more so, I think it serves us to recognize, you know, our own personal responsibility or just looking at bringing it back, you know, full circle to not only our reactions and our emotions that are coming about, but what are we personally doing? What are we individually doing to, you know, for ourselves to just make our little pocket of the world, this little bubble right here, you know, a little better? So what do you propose, Apio? My, my own proposal is focus on being, like what I said earlier, and I'm going to keep on hammering away at it. Yeah. Best human being you possibly can. That's a good mantra. Yeah. Be the That's best a good mantra. You know how to be. Yeah. Well, I've, always, I've always said we get the leaders we deserve. <laughs> yep. and, and whatever happens, it, like, it's true. And yep. we'll, we'll adjust. Things will happen. Things won't happen. But we'll learn. Yeah, and uh, yeah. What? And you know, one thing that's always kind of triggered me. Well, I can't say always because I used to, again. I used to identify myself as a Republican, a conservative. But once I, it's also a time when I thought I sucked and living sucked and the world sucked. But uh, as I grew out of that, I realized like the definition of conservatism is resistant to change. Wanting yeah. things to stay the same, and that that's not how the universe works. So. Yeah. Everyone could identify as conservatives and vote for conservatives and still things would unfold and expand and change. That's, and, uh, and we could have a whole nother show about how, you know, the, the neuroscience behind, you know, the resistance to change and so forth. <laughs> so maybe that's it. There's 41% of Americans that are just so scared and resistant to change that anyone that says, I can take us backwards, gets all their votes. Right. <laughs> as if there ever was a golden age. I'm sorry. Right. Right, because there wasn't. Well, there was for white males. Like, yeah. let's, let's be perfectly honest. The 50s and early 60s were brilliant for white males. And the, the 40s and the 30s and the 20s. Yes. Yep. In this country, being a white man is, has always been the, the way to go. So when... Straight white man. Right. Thank you. Straight I was going to add that, but right. I didn't want to be the one to bring it up. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So when now, you know, there's, so first you have a black man in office and forget that he's half white, right? We always forget that his mother is white, mm-hmm. but he doesn't look it. So he isn't. Right. Well, just remember okay. the racial, I mean, the racial um, descriptor from the two centuries ago, one drop of black blood was sufficient to be black. That's right. right. Uh, whereas, whereas, it, it, curiously, in other countries, like in, in, in Latin America, oh no, I take it back, in South Africa, one drop of white blood would make you at least colored. Right. So back in the good old apartheid days, that magical drop of white blood would somehow lessen the pollution of blackness. Oh, just, right. sorry, that, that's a tangent. Yeah. But it's just so, it's, <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> but but it's, 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 it's fascinating to be able to step into it, right? And, and as much as I love Apio's concept of be the best that we can be right now, 
I, I love that. And I think it's hugely important. But I also think sticking our head in the sand is what creates genocide. Mm. I agree. I so there, is, agree. There, is a, there is a fine line between being the best that we can be and ignoring abuses. So, right. so we Amen have to that. Amen to that. Exactly. So that is like one of the bigger, you know, it, it is a huge concern because I'm not a big fan of putting on the news. It, it does trigger me. And then I, and it, sometimes I don't want to dig in and go, what's that about Lori? Sometimes I just don't want to do that. So, <laughs> so I, you <laughs> know, right. So, um, but yeah. there is that, gosh, I, I do want equal rights for people. I do want, mm -hmm. I don't want people to be um, oppressed. Mm -hmm. So is being the best me, you know, for me, it's, it's standing up and saying what I'm for. Yes. That's, yes. That's yes. a part of what I'm doing. Like, I, it's not right. going against something. It's going like, I'm for this. So how much energy can I put into this movement for equality as opposed yeah. to, I'm just going to stand here and complain about the person who's trying to create inequality. That's one of yeah. the reasons why I adore you so much, Laurie, is because <laughs> you, know, you, you, you're able to expand and, and say the things that I've left unsaid. And we've done this so yeah. many times with each other. So, so thank you for that. Thank you for I, adding. That. Yeah. And I, I think Apio, I mean, I think Apio is tapping into that. What everyone's kind of been saying that we're not putting a lot of work into ourselves uh, people, a lot of people just don't have the tools, and I think that's what all of us are trying to help people do in our own professions and our own daily lives. Uh, you know, and part of that's part of being the hero. The hero, really, in the classic definition from all mythologies around the world, is the hero didn't just go out for self-aggrandizement. The hero didn't go beyond the pale and leave society just to gain wisdom for themselves. You know, the hero went back and came back from a perilous journey. Was one of the few who could rise above their fears and the limitations of their culture and come back from the darkness outside of the village with wisdom for everybody, not just for themselves. So mm -hmm. to, the real definition of a hero is not a sacrifice. I mean, I know we, we glorify people who kind of go and sacrifice their lives and rightly so that they're, that's a type of heroism when you sacrifice your life unintentionally as a soldier, for instance, or as a first responder. But the real hero is the one that comes back and every day kind of rises above the limitations of their culture and supports the world and the people around them by feeding into them positively rather than making redneck jokes like I was lamenting earlier. And, you know, rising above your own limitations and then supporting the world around you and the people around you, even if they have different opinions, because they probably, you know, they probably need it more than anyone else. So, cool. yeah. Cool. We've been going for over an hour now, so I do kind of want to bring this uh, and, and wrap it up. Um, you know, one thing that I do hope is changed forever in, in, in all elections is the notion that in, someone has to pretend they're perfect and that this first skeleton, the first old tape, the first misstep, and they drop out. And that's what politicians have done for a long time. The first like, oh, they got me or that affair or that thing I did 20 years ago. And Trump's blown through all that. So I kind of think, I hope that stays, right? Um, <laughs> but uh so with that, uh, I want to thank everyone for joining me tonight. I hope that this uh, hopefully unique take on this unique election uh, brought some insights, brought some awareness. That, that's the real goal here. Um, again, thanks to all my guests for joining. Thanks for all the listeners. Apio, thank you as always. Um, you can join us live next Tuesday, November 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern for another episode of Real Men Feel. Apio and I will be sharing more about our experiences in men-only groups. We're calling it being a man among men. That's next week. Um, until then. 
Subscribe at iTunes, give us a review, share what you thought about the show, join us on Facebook, join us all over the social media stratosphere, and please do vote. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Thank no you, matter for who, vote. Bye-bye. It's so good to see y'all.